Well, it is great to be with you today on the official first day of spring. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Somebody's like, what? What? Is <laughs> Did I get my calendar wrong? I th- thought it's been spring for a month and a half. On the calendar, it's been spring for a month and a half. <clears throat> well, we're wrapping up our series. Um, I was chided in the first service because... Um, I did not have my guitar on the platform, and I did not get a red bandana out and, um, and, uh, and do my Willie Nelson impersonation, but our series has been called On the Road Again, and the road that we're going to talk about today as we close out our series, I've called the Jericho Road, and Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 10, and I want to read from verses 30 to 35. So if you'll follow along as I read, it says, In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. When he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This conversation, this story that Jesus is telling is a part of a larger conversation that Jesus is having about eternal life. And the question has been asked to Jesus, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus transitions from that question into this story, and in fact, the answer to the question is found in the story. The road to Jericho from Jerusalem was about 18 miles long. Now, I don't know when you last walked an 18-mile stretch, but 18 miles in the first century was considered a normal full day of travel. I can imagine people didn't want to travel all that much if you had to go 18 miles to do a full day. But for us, it would be like <clears throat> jumping in the car and, and going from here to Chicago. It's, it's not that you couldn't go further, but once you get to Chicago, you're just kind of sick and tired of traveling at that point. You're just sort of done. Um, in the first service, a young guy named Nate a couple weeks ago, he had told me that, that when he was in college that he would drive home uh, from Houghton, um, and he lived uh, out east, and he would drive 16 hours straight. And I just said, Nate, you're crazy. And, and, and that's not a full day. That's like two days of travel, okay? That's to the extreme. But, uh, but a full day travel, 18 miles um, in, in, in the first century to walk that, that was considered a normal full day. And this, this road that existed between Jerusalem and Jericho, it was a major road, it was a major road. There was all sorts of commerce that would, that would uh, be moved between Jerusalem and Jericho. 
Um, there was military movement. Of course, Rome is in power, so there would be, uh, I'm sure, brigades or, 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 or small battalions, um, platoons that would be going um, through that region as well. It was also a road where a lot of religious travel happened. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And it was known for caves. It was known to be a place uh, for hideouts for bandits. And when I read this, I think of the Badlands of South Dakota. The Badlands, if you've ever driven through the Badlands, um, it is just a place where it, it feels like nothing could survive. <clears throat> and and criminals used to uh, congregate in that area because no one really successfully could look for them or find them. And that's the sort of place that this was. In my research, I, I watched a video that showed some of the actual road that existed between Jericho and Jerusalem. And, and I got to be honest, I think you had to be part mountain goat to actually walk that road. And, and they're very liberal with the word road. And that's, that's unusual because I think here in the UP, we're already very generous with the word road, okay? If you're from Illinois... Okay, and I say that because I'm from Wisconsin originally, and so Illinois was just Illinois, okay? But if you're from Illinois, all right, Pete, Pete's from Chicago, I can pick on Pete. If you're from Illinois, a road is a six-lane, you know, thing merging onto 12 lanes, you know, through the heart of the city. But here in the UP, a road is two little dirt uh, things, uh, the, the, the width of your tires apart with two feet of grass in the middle and branches that stick out and, and um, scratch your paint job, which is why everybody drives old beat up trucks, right? I mean, that's a road. We are generous with the word road, but to call the word, to, to call what existed between Jerusalem and Jericho a road I mean, that's, that's really pushing it, but that's what they considered it. They considered it to be a road, but as you look at it, it's more like a, a single track on the side of a steep hill. If you've ever been out at the, the South Trails here in Marquette, um, it's, it's beautiful, and, and people walk and ride bikes, and, and, and there's hiking going, it's, and people fishing in the stream, but you're on, a, on a, literally a, a, a trail that's no more than 16 inches wide, and if you, if you fall one way, you're going straight down to the river. Okay, and then the other direction, if you tried to fall over that way, you really couldn't because, because here's the side on the other side. So it's literally straight up and straight down. That's what, what I saw when I watched a video to do research on this message. It is it's just on the side of a very steep grade, and it's a little tiny path going along it. And when you think about Jesus' story, that the priest and the Levite had to step over. They had to, they, they went on the other side. There is no other side. You can't go around somebody when the path is only this big. And if you go to the right, you go off the edge. And if you go to the left, there, it's nothing but straight up. You can't go around. You actually have to go over. So I'm envisioning the priest and the Levite getting to the part of the trail where they find this man, and they actually have to step over him. There was no way they could avoid an encounter. As they were stepping over him, I imagine they looked down at his face. I imagine they saw 
the guy bleeding because he had been beat up and left half dead. I imagine that the guy might have been sort of semi-conscious and, and they heard him groaning and mumbling a little bit. They couldn't avoid the encounter. And, and Jews would travel this back and forth for religious holidays. This was a, a very common trail that people would take. And the Jewish listeners to Jesus, they would have expected a Samaritan to be in the story, but they would only expect that the Samaritan would actually be the robber and nothing else. They would not expect the Samaritan to be kind. And in this story, we learn three different things that I want to share with you this morning. And I think that they should challenge us. And the first one is this, that there are no exceptions, no special uh, exemptions, rather. Jericho, this city, 18 miles south of Jerusalem, it was a priestly city. I'd never, I'd never come across that before. I knew that Jericho is the old, one of the oldest cities um, in all history that, that archaeologists have found um, on numerous levels where the city has been rebuilt again and again. And you say, well, why? Well, remember that Jericho is the city that, that Moses and Joshua encircled, and they, they went into Jericho, and, and God literally flattened it. And they went in and they were able to take over that city. Do you remember that story in Scripture in the Old Testament? Well, that city had to be rebuilt. And it has been rebuilt numerous times throughout history. But as many as 12,000 priests and Levites lived in that town during Jesus' time. And they were constantly traveling the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And notice that it says that they were going down. They were going down. I love it when people talk about going down or going up, okay? When people are, in, they're, they're in Appleton and they talk about going down to Green Bay. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't go down to Green Bay from Appleton. Somebody in the UP, they talk about, you know, going up to Lansing, you don't go up to Lansing from the UP. You go down to Lansing because Lansing is south. Jericho is south, and these, the priest and the Levite in the story, they are going down. They are going south. So they're traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what we learn is that in this story, they have probably just come off serving a seven-day stretch in the temple. Now, some of you have worked jobs where you work a lot of days on and then you get an extended period off to compensate for the fact that you had to work such a lengthy schedule. Guys that, that work in the mines, this is typically, their, their schedule changes all the time. Uh, TJ, I know you got some crazy hours and, and you work a whole bunch of days off and then you get a bunch of, you know, a bunch of days on and it, it just rotates back and forth. Well, these guys, at the end of that, that, that long stretch of working, how do you think they feel? Man, they're tired. Just like, just like you worked a long stretch at the mine or, or if you're a fireman and you, you got to work 36 on or, or you're going to work a full seven days on and then you get a few days off. At the end of that time, you are just spent. You're just tired. I envision the priest as he walks along the road to Jericho and he sees that there's someone lying there in the road. 
and he's just been serving in the temple. He's literally been serving, get this, within the very manifest, within proximity to the very manifest presence of God. In the temple was the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and between the the wings of the, the cherubim on the Ark was a cloud of the presence and the glory of God. They were serving very close to that. And I can imagine them saying, you know, Lord, I'm tired. I've been serving. I've been been serving you. I've been in the, the temple for seven days. I've been working hard. And right now, I just can't really handle anymore. Have you ever told God that you were tired? You ever do that? You ever, you ever get the sense that God wanted you to do something and you're like, I'm just, Lord, I'm tired. Get somebody else to do that. Would you do that? I imagine this conversation that they would have been having. God, I'm just tired after serving all week, and I'm sure that you will understand if I don't take the time and and stop and help this guy. In fact, as they are stepping over him, I imagine them uttering a prayer. Lord, send somebody to help him, but send somebody else. As they step over his broken and beat up body, because they're tired, I don't know about you, but, but I've, I've, I've done something like that before. I'll, I'll never forget one day I, I felt the Lord telling me that as I was walking through the neighborhood, I, I, I should stop and talk to this lady. And I, I said, no, I don't, I don't have time. I had just started walking and exercising, and I'm like, Lord, you know what my cholesterol is, don't you? I am trying to stay healthy for you, okay? I am walking for Jesus here. You, you laugh. I had that conversation, okay? And I'm getting closer to her. She's shoveling in the end of her driveway and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And I, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to do this. I wanted to step over her. And as I, as I got there, I said, I made a deal with the Lord. Don't ever make a deal with God. I made a deal with the Lord. I said, okay, I'll say hi to her. If she engages me, I'll stop. I said hi as I got up to her by her driveway and she immediately stopped shoveling and started talking to me instantly. This is the UP. People don't do that. And, and she, she says, she says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. She said, and she puts her hand on her shovel. She says, I'm literally having a crisis in my faith right now. It was so evident that God wanted that to happen. And I wanted to do this. I wanted to step over her. Lord, send somebody else, but I'm busy right now. Exercising for Jesus to get my cholesterol down. I envisioned them doing that very thing. They were busy people. They were important. They worked in the temple. I imagine them saying, God, this guy's probably already dead. He's probably already dead, and if I touch him, I'll be ceremonially unclean, and then I'm going to have to take seven days away from everybody else so that I can then be ceremonially clean again. God, I'm, I'm, I'm making this decision for you. I'm, I'm literally trying to obey you. This would be terribly inconvenient for them, but their actions literally contradicted the law that they were charged to follow. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 7, Isaiah says this, Is it not to share your food with the hungry 
provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Jesus said it a little different in John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one for one another. He doesn't invite us to love other people. He doesn't ask us to love other people. He commands us to love other people. In fact, he commands us to do so as proof of our salvation. James chapter 4 and verse 17, James says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. None of us is exempt. None of us is justified. The, the spiritual heroes in this story are the ones who stepped over the man. Do you see what I'm saying? The, the, the priest and the Levite in this story, Jesus' listeners would have felt these are the heroes. These are the heroes. The Samaritan is a dirty, filthy dog of a sinner. And Jesus said that it's the Samaritan that actually helped, that actually obeyed. The question Jesus was asked before this story is, how do I obtain eternal life? Jesus said, you know the scriptures, do what they say. He said, I've done them all. Jesus said, okay, here's the story that I want to tell you. Be a good neighbor. Jesus blows their minds by saying that a Samaritan can even be in heaven. They were blown away. Number two, we learn that we need more than good intentions. This story and many others that Jesus told, the kingdom of God turns their lives upside down. The priest and the Levite, they were obligated to follow the law the law of Moses. Most of them would have prayed a specific prayer uh, every day. In fact, they might have done it morning and evening. It depends on how good of a Jew they wanted to be. And it was called the Shema. And it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 and 5. It was a daily prayer that they would pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And, and we also see in the, the books of the law, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, where the, in the law, Moses uh, tells them that God says, love your neighbor as yourself. But we know the law also commanded that they should not touch the dead. And they were following the letter of the law. You know, he might be dead. I shouldn't touch him. I'm going to step over him. I'm going to leave him for somebody else to take care of. They were following the letter of law, but not the spirit of the law. They were picking which part of the law they wanted to obey. They were using the law as an excuse to disobey the law. And the priests and the Levites, they were the good guys. They were the heroes. They were the spiritual ones that, that, that people look up to. And Jesus' listeners would have known this. The Samaritan would be the villain in the story. Jesus was asked during his ministry, what's the greatest command? Jesus answered in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Have you heard that before? I think that's called the Shema from 
from Deuteronomy chapter 6 where they prayed that every single day. And then Jesus goes on and he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds pretty familiar too. I think that's Luke chapter 19 and verse 18. This is the greatest commandment, Jesus said. And he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So if you boil down all of the law and all of the prophets, it all comes down to this. Love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had to tell them in Matthew 5.17, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When Jesus would teach, he would say, you've heard it said, and he would quote the book of the law. And then he would say, but I say this. And what Jesus would do is he would not say, okay, forget about that. He would take it up a notch. He would say something like, you heard it, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, I I tell you, don't even look on someone with lust or you've already committed adultery. He didn't wipe out the law. He took it to a higher level. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Margaret Thatcher prime minister of England years ago, she said that no one would remember the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. So what did the Samaritan actually do? He bandaged the guy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't travel with bandages. I'm leaving this afternoon. I I have business meetings in Appleton uh, tonight, uh, Monday and Tuesday. And uh, so Pastor Ben and, and Caitlin, we're, we have these business meetings, so we're getting in the room. I don't have bandages. I don't, I, Caitlin, maybe you can bring the bandages. I don't, I don't usually bring bandages on trips. Maybe, maybe there's a first aid kit somewhere in my vehicle. I'm not positive. Um, but but what, what would he have done? My guess is he probably actually tore part of his, his own garment and used it as a bandage. Uh, he, he poured on what's called oil and wine. He's literally, he's literally medicating the man's wounds. He's taking care of him. He puts him on his donkey. In other words, he transports him uh, to a place where he can care for him better. It's like an ambulance. Whenever you're driving and you see an ambulance that's, that's burning up the road and you know there's obviously something serious going on, do you ever catch yourself saying, Lord, whoever that ambulance is, intended for, I pray that you'll touch them. We had a a, a guy in our neighborhood a number of years ago that had major heart problems, and boy, whenever you saw an ambulance light in the neighborhood, you're like, oh, Lord, I pray. I pray that, that they're okay. God, touch them. But this guy got him on his donkey. He took him to an inn which would have also served as a hospital. He nursed him. Uh, He paid the bills ahead of time and he said, I'll be back. I'll I'll pay for whatever else I owe you. Have you ever pulled up to uh, Starbucks? Now, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't really normally pull up to Starbucks because I'm a Folgers guy. (laughs) I hate to confess that, but I am. I make a pot of Folgers in the morning. Um, and, uh, but if you've pulled up to, to Starbucks and you go up there, you know, to get your drink and to pay for your bill and you, you get, your, you get your, your debit card out to hand them and they say, you know, the person ahead of you already took care of it. Have you ever had that happen? 
I've watched that happen at times. I saw that happen in the thrift store here where, where somebody was at the cash register and they said, hey, I want to pay for whoever's behind me. Here it is. They didn't know how much it was. And, and the next person came up and they said, somebody already took care of your bill. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Someone paid for your bill. They want to pay it forward. The, the Samaritan, he literally, he said, I'm going to pay his bill ahead of time. And then if there's, if there's extra costs that we don't know about, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pay that as well. He used his own supplies, his own time, his own effort, his own resources in order to minister to this man. Jesus said, actions are better than good intentions. James chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, James says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James is actually calling their faith dead faith because they aren't acting the way that they should. So good intentions are not enough. We must act. And number three, we're called to be Jesus with skin on. In China, suicide is the number one cause of death for people ages 18 to 34. We've had some very tragic events in our community and not just recently, but we've had death by suicide of young people um, for a lot of years in our community. And in this community in China, people were choosing a particular location to take their life. It was the Nanjing River, Nanjing River Bridge, 230 feet high above the water. And they were pretty certain that you would not survive it. So if you jumped, it was, it was sort of certain death. And there was a young man whose name was Chen Si. And he felt that God was sending him, calling him to be Jesus with skin on to the world around him. And he felt God directing him to go to the Nanjing River Bridge in the evenings after work. Not because he was himself considering taking his life, but he was going there to look for those who were intent on taking their own life so that he could intervene, so that he could minister to them. This was at great expense to himself, the time, the energy, the resources. But over the next year, he kept going night after night after night. And over the next year, the course of a year, God gave him the opportunity to intervene in the lives of 42 people that were planning on killing themselves by jumping off that bridge. And he thought, I got to keep doing this. And he continued to do it. And then all of a sudden, people that were desperate, began to call out for help to him. He would help them find hope for their lives. He would pray with them to welcome Jesus into their lives, to heal their hurt and their pain. And it became so much, it became so overwhelming that he had to quit his job at the foundry 
and begin to do this full time. And then he had a team of people helping them, reaching out to a city of eight and a half million people. But he was willing to be Jesus with skin on. The priests and the Levites, they stepped over the man. That was there. Lord, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm working for you. I'm doing what you want me to do. Please send someone else to get him. Send someone else to minister to him. I've got to keep going. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I just can't do it. When we fail to act, it speaks of our faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, He said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to clothe and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we serve others, when we, instead of stepping over the person, when we minister to that need, we do it as unto Jesus. We are literally touching Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews tells us, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. It might not even be a person there. It might be an angel of the Lord, and we have the opportunity to minister to them. We need to be Jesus with skin on to our lost world. You see, Jesus radically changed the kingdom of God. He was asked, or he asked rather, at the end of this conversation, he asked the man, who do you think was the better neighbor? And it really bothered this man a lot because he he did not want to have to admit that the Samaritan was the better neighbor than the priest or the Levite. It hurt him to actually have to acknowledge that. Jesus was asking, who demonstrated love better? You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. How many, I, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but I wanna ask you, how many of you love God? We would, we, man, we'd say, yes, I love God. Man, I love God. Jessica, I love God. I love Jesus. Thank you. I, I, man, I, and I get, I get fired up. The Bible does not say anything about loving Jesus with my emotions. But it says a lot about loving Jesus with my obedience. Friends, that's what it comes down to. I, man, ever since I was a kid, I, I, I feel this emotional connection to the Lord. I just, I feel that I love God. It doesn't do much without obedience. If somebody says, I love you, 
and there's, there's nothing else. Well, it's just a feeling. When we say we love God, there has to be obedience. There has to be action. The road to Jericho, it calls us to be Jesus with skin on. I want to close with two quick thoughts. Saturday, I was in Walmart. It's just what you want to do with your Saturday, isn't it? Just, we just had men's breakfast. It was, we had an awesome men's breakfast on Saturday, so I, I had to stop and get a couple things at, at Walmart. And I walked by somebody that actually used to attend church here, and as a, somebody that I, I know pretty well, and I, I put my arm on her shoulder, and I just said, you know, you just need somebody today to tell you that you're appreciated, and I appreciate you. And she said, thank you. Children's boots, winter boots are on clearance for $2. <laughs> that was her answer. I kid you not. Thank you. Children's boots are on clearance for $2 a piece. I said, I'll take them. Let me check out my stuff and get it to the car. I'll come back in. And we went back to the shoe department. And I bought 78 pairs of winter boots. 78 pairs of winter boots. It was so much fun. People freak out. They can't. They can't believe when you do something like that. And it's, it's, it's the church. It's not Kevin Taylor. It's the body of Christ getting to act, okay? And it made me feel really good until I talked to somebody this last week that has adopted two children from Ukraine, two Down syndrome boys. And the dad said, you know, I can't just sit here and do nothing. This war is going on in Ukraine and The hospital in the community that these boys came from, they don't have supplies. We have to do something. Got a phone call from another one of his friends in the community and some of the other adopted parents, the dads, they were saying, you got time for a road trip? Let's go. Let's go to the Ukraine. We're going to fly into Poland. We'll pack our suitcases with all the stuff that you can't get over there and we'll take money with us and we'll buy stuff when we get over there. We'll rent a truck and we'll drive it into the Ukraine and we'll take it to the hospital where these children came from. It's incredible to see people that refuse to step over. It's incredible. They said, we're going back. We've got two more trips planned. Spending their own money, their own money. They're working with a nonprofit, uh, an adoption agency that's, that's their financial covering. But they're spending their own money to get there. They're spending their own money, and they don't even know for sure how they're going to do it again, but they're going to do it two more times. They're people that are refusing to step over someone that's in need. They are saying, I'll be Jesus with skin on. And I said to myself, how can we say no? How can we say no? They are looking for not, not just financial donations, but they're looking for things that you can buy here that you can't buy over there. And they're looking for those things so that they can uh, begin to, to take those with them. They pack them in their suitcases. So some of the medical devices that you can't get there, they're going to take with them. 
And I thought to myself, sign me up. Let's be a part of that. And so I want you to know that, that as a church, we're going we're gonna to get involved in that and we're going to support that because Jesus calls us to be skin on. Jesus was skin on to a lost and dying world. And I tell you what, I want to invite you to say, you know what, we're not going to step over people. We are going to minister to those that are hurting. We're going to be Jesus with skin on. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for how you challenge us to kind of get out of our comfort zone and to be willing, Lord, to minister to others who are hurting. Father, convict our hearts for the times when we've been too willing to step over rather than to stop and to get involved and, and to, to use our own time and our own energy and our own resource to be involved. And I pray, Lord, that you would call your people, the church, into action. Lord, whether, whether it's winter clothes or whether it's it's backpacks or, or providing food for our community, whether it's, it's, it's buying medical equipment for, for hospitals in the Ukraine. Lord, I pray that as your people, we will act. God, I thank you for your blessing on our lives. I thank you, Lord, for, for the opportunity that we have to live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth, and I pray that we will reach out. God, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.